If you take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2 this morning is where we will be reading from. When we read, I will be beginning in verse 15. There was a, a knock at my door. And like any time that there is an unexpected knock at my door, I am always a little hesitant. Were we expecting someone? Is there, is there any chance that we can pretend like we're not here, like we're not home? <laughs> Have they seen anybody through the windows yet? <laughs> Is it a salesperson? What are they trying to sell? This particular time, it was not a friend coming over to visit. It was not a salesperson trying to sell me a product or satellite TV. It was two Mormon gentlemen. And I'll be truthful this morning. There is in myself that inward groan when I found out who it was be truthful, to be honest. I don't go skipping to the door (laughs) in those moments. And I was torn. Do I I open the door and engage these gentlemen? Do I maybe just open the door and just kind of shoo them away quickly, say I'm not interested, just kind of tell them thanks for coming, but see you later? My honest gut reaction isn't, yay, we have Mormons at the door. So I was waging that battle within myself and my heart about what I should do. And I decided in that split second to open the door and to engage them. And so we began to converse. I do not remember all of the specific details of our conversation. But I do remember that in the course of our conversation, we began to talk about faith. And as we talked about faith and what faith was and what faith meant... I asked them a question. What reason? What reason would you give to God as to why God should allow you into his presence? And then came the honest answer. I hope I've done enough. That was the assurance that his religion brought him. It all depended upon him. It depended upon what he did. It all depended upon his works. Unfortunately, I cannot say in that conversation that those two gentlemen were one to Christ. And in fact, because they would not turn to Christ, the conversation unfortunately ended with me saying, how I was disappointed that they would go through my neighborhood and defame the name of my Savior. And I did not appreciate giving Jesus Christ a bad name because they were saying Jesus Christ was not enough. 
they were saying there must be works that go with that faith in order to be found acceptable in God's eyes. They were telling me that there were things I needed to do, actions that I needed to perform. They were telling me that faith alone was not enough. And I was trying to show them how faith in Jesus Christ alone was enough. Think about the contrast this morning for a moment of what I was offering and what they were offering. They were trying to pile on all these things that I had to do in order to make myself look good in God's eyes. They were offering no assurance of salvation. But I was offering salvation as a gift. They were offering a burden of works And in the end, if all that I'm able to say is that I hope I've done enough, then it's all about me. And I'll never know if I've done enough. Who would want what they were offering? Who would want such lack of assurance? Who would want to be burdened down by the weight of the works that they were trying to pile on people? And in the recesses of my mind, as I thought about that conversation, I thought, I would have to be a lunatic to accept what they are offering. I'm saying salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And they are saying, no, you have to do something. You have to work in order to be right in God's eyes. I was offering freedom. They were offering a prison. Before we begin to shake our heads, Christians, people who say we believe in faith alone, do we really, do you really believe in faith alone? Do you really want faith alone, or would you rather have something that you can prove? I can prove to God that I am important. I can prove to God that I can make it on my own. I can prove to God that I can make my way up to Him. I can prove to God that I am good enough, that I am able enough, that I am strong enough, that I am deserving. This is our problem. It's not merely a Mormon problem. It's not a Islam problem. It's not a Roman Catholic problem. It's a human problem. It is what we want in our human nature. We alone want to be enough in God's eyes. We want to prove to God that we are righteous by our works. Let's stand together this morning as we read his word. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one 
will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live my faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're thinking about those pillars of truth that held up the Reformation. There was something that Martin Luther, that reformer, warned the church against. It is what he called theologians of glory. That term, a theologian of glory, or a theology of glory, is not a positive term. It's a negative term. It's negative because the first thing that the theologian of glory does is to make God a reflection of himself. The theologian of glory believes that God acts the way that man acts. And so we place our own expectations upon God as to what he should be like. So, in the context of talking about faith alone, what might that look like? The theologian of glory says, I expect God to reward those who do good things. That those who behave well and obey God will merit entry into heaven. That's what the theologian of glory says. And do you see what we do when we expect God to act like we act? Because isn't that how we act? You behave well, you obey, then what? You merit my favor. We make it about ourselves. We promote ourselves, our actions, to say that our salvation is based on our righteousness and not on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Theologians of glory are completely backwards. Because they call what is evil, good. The theologian of glory calls good our works, which actually God says are evil. Listen to Isaiah 64, 6. We all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. 
we all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Until we view our works from God's perspective, that they are filthy regs, that they are morally filthy, that no amount of them will make us acceptable in God's sight. We will not understand faith alone and the very heart of the gospel itself. So why do we believe in faith alone? What is so compelling that we would want to consider our works as a polluted garment before God and put our faith and our dependence in something, someone else? And so we look at these verses from Galatians this morning. We ask the Lord to assist us in understanding that we are justified by faith alone. So four things this morning. Four things of why we believe in faith alone. Number one, we believe in faith alone because we know our merit cannot make us right before God. We believe in faith alone because we know our merit cannot make us right before God. I remember the story of a young boy And he faced a predicament like many young boys face, the height of a basketball hoop, trying to reach that heavy basketball up high enough and be able to push it far enough and upward enough that you're able to even get it to the rim of the basketball hoop. And so this young boy's father saw him desperately trying to reach the basketball up to the hoop. And in that moment, that father comes and does what most fathers might do. He scoops the young boy up in his arms and he holds that boy upstretched towards the hoop. And that young boy has that ball and he takes that ball and moves it up and is able to push it up just high enough to get it to the hoop and it falls through the net. The father puts the young boy on the ground and the moment that his feet hit the ground, he runs up to his mother, who was there the whole time, who had been watching every part of this story take place. And he says, Mommy, Mommy, did you see? Did you see? I did it all by myself. Are we people who would like to exclaim, I did it. All by myself. How quickly and how easily we can deceive ourselves. Paul begins our passage this morning making a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul, before this, had just been talking about the Apostle Peter and how the Apostle Peter had not been living in a way that was consistent. Because Peter had been eating with Gentiles. Peter was a Jew. And under Jewish law, if you were a Jew, you would not eat with Gentiles. They were considered unclean. But Peter had been eating with Gentiles. He'd been having meals with Gentiles. And rightly so, because Peter now believed in Jesus Christ. 
who made away with those distinctions. But then there was a problem because there were these people who came into Peter's life who said, no, 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 you still have to hold the law. And so when those people came into Peter's life, then Peter separated from those Gentiles and said, oh, no, I'm not going to eat with those people anymore. I'm going to follow the law. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to live this way now because of this pressure that I'm feeling from the outside. And so that's what Paul comes to us this morning and he tells us here in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth. So he's relating to himself and to Peter. We're Jews by birth. Ethnically, we are Jewish. We are not what he calls here Gentile sinners. And the distinction is this. As a Jew, you were considered to be born underneath the Old Testament law. Gentiles, everyone who's not a Jew, is not born under the Old Testament law. They don't have a law that's over them, that's governing them, that's telling them what to do. And so Paul comes to us, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. But then Paul does something incredible here. Do you see what he does? He levels the playing field. Because people are saying, well, Jews are better because, look, they hold the Old Testament law. They have this law that they're living underneath, and so that makes them look good in God's eyes. They're not like those Gentile sinners who don't have the law, who could just live willy-nilly any way that they want to. What does Paul say? Yet we know that a person, Jew or Gentile, is not justified by his or her works. He levels the playing field. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew. Doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. Because nobody is justified by the works of the law. Now, it's important here that we understand this word justified. Because Paul is going to use it many more times in our verses. Justified means to be declared righteous before God. To be declared by God as acceptable in His sight. It is a legal pronouncement made by God. So Paul says, we are not declared by God to be righteous before Him by the works of the law, by what we do, by our law-keeping. And when we see that phrase, by the works of the law, I take that to mean all of the Old Testament law. All of the Old Testament, everything that the Jews were supposed to do in the law, Paul says, you're not going to be found right in God's eyes by keeping all of those Old Testament laws. No one will ever be counted righteous by God based on his or her works of the law. And then comes this (laughs) astounding contrast. How will we be justified? How will we be declared righteous? But through faith in Jesus Christ. We will only be declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. It's only when our faith is placed upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is only when our trust is completely in Him that we are counted righteous in God's eyes. And so what is this faith? 
Paul says this is faith in Jesus Christ. What does this faith look like? I think it tells us here. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. There's a believing that goes along with this faith. Faith is believing who Jesus Christ is. We believe that He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. We believe that He is the Son of God incarnate. He is God. We believe that He is a real person. We believe that He is revealed to us in the Bible. This also includes believing what He has done. We believe that He lived a completely perfect life. We believe that He died upon the cross to bring forgiveness of sin. We believe that He rose again from the dead on the third day. We are believing in Jesus, not just mere mental assent, believing something to be true, but this is belief, this is faith that embraces, that leans on, that trusts in all that Christ has done to provide us salvation. It is a belief that is grounded and held up by Jesus Christ alone, and if Jesus Christ were taken out of the way, then we would fall over because there would be no place for us to stand. He is the only hope. We are only saved by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You cannot say that you believe in Jesus Christ, but somehow think that you will be made right in God's eyes by keeping the law or by keeping rules. Those two things cannot go together. Paul says the very reason why we believe in Jesus is to be justified by faith in Him and not by our own works. Why? Look at what it says. The very last phrase of verse 16. Because by works of the law, no one, no one will be justified. Here comes the realization upon us that we cannot look inside of ourselves for our own righteousness. We have to look to a righteousness that is outside of us. A righteousness that comes from outside of us so that God will justify us and declare us right in His eyes. It's, it's not our own righteousness because no one on their own, left to themselves, can achieve righteousness. You cannot and will not find righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. Listen to what, what Romans says, Romans 4, 5. And the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. Do you believe, do you believe that no one will be declared righteous before God because of their works? Do you believe that no one can be justified before God by their own merit, by what they have done? Human beings become right before God by believing, not by doing. But you might object this morning, well, isn't faith a work? Faith does not merit God's acceptance Rather, it accepts Christ's merit before God. 
That's what we're doing as believers. We're accepting Christ. He's done all the work. We don't need to work. And so we put our faith in Him and we trust in Him. But maybe you still object this morning. You may say, well, surely there are some people who have done enough. Surely there are some people out there who, by their merit, will get into heaven. Surely there is someone out there who is good enough. Maybe you've heard someone say that before. Well, he was a good man. She was a good woman. It doesn't matter if there's no faith in Jesus Christ. I don't want my children just to be a good man and a good woman. I want my children to know Jesus Christ, to put their faith in Him. If that doesn't put an an evangelistic bee in your bonnet, that good people don't go to heaven. Only those who put their faith in Jesus Christ go to heaven. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. No one one day will stand before God and show them all that they have done and have that be the basis for their salvation and have all those good deeds as what God counts as their righteousness. And it's not just that we have a little bit of faith and a little bit of works. That's the problem. People were trying in Paul's day to add to the equation. You need faith in Jesus Christ, but you also need to add on works in order to make yourself right in God's eyes. And Paul is saying no, because no one can be justified by God by their works, the works of the law, by any amount of rule keeping. It's not going to happen. And if you try to add anything to the equation, instead of improving it, the result is completely distorting it, and there is no justification before God, and there is no salvation. Number two, we believe in faith alone because we know it is the only way to please God. We believe in faith alone because we know it is the only way to please God. You a people pleaser? Someone who wants and looks for the approval of other people? Always evaluating others' view of yourself, how they might perceive you? You someone who fears rejection? Does that fear of other people keep you sometimes from doing some things? Or does it instigate some things in your life that you should not do? We can make people pleasing our idol to such an extent that we fear the displeasure of man more than we would fear the displeasure of God. Who do you want to please more? People or God? 
I hope and pray that you would want to please God. But how is it? How are you able to please God? Some might say the only way to please God is through our works, through the rules that you keep. It's through your merit. And herein lies the danger of what Paul is teaching. He anticipates the objection to what he is teaching. Paul, does this gospel that you are teaching, does it promote sinning in our lives? Does it mean that we can just live any way that we want to live? That we don't have to follow any rules or do any works? We have any merit on our own? This is the question that Paul anticipates. Paul is saying, if we are justified in Christ and we are found to be sinners just like the Gentiles, that somehow people might accuse us of breaking the Old Testament law, does that mean we've made Christ a servant of sin? That is to say, Is Christ just giving the okay to sin all that we want? The the charge that Paul is anticipating is what we would call licentiousness. His opponents were worried that if you get rid of the law, you just give yourself the excuse to sin. Paul says justification by faith alone is not an excuse to sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not an instrument of sin. And the heart of the problem is not the law per se, it is us. The law was meant not to make people righteous, but to show people that they are sinners. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 3. For by the works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. How do you know that you're a sinner? It's because the law that's there. This is why, look at what Paul says in verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down. That's this idea of the law. Paul says, okay, if I'm justified by faith alone, but if I go back to the law, it's like I'm rebuilding this wall. This, there's a wall that's been torn down, and that is the, the law. But now he says, well, what if I build up what was torn down? What if I go back to the law? What does he say? I prove myself to be a transgressor. The, the, the only thing the law does is shows me that I am a sinner and that I stand condemned. That's what the law does. Going back to the law is not going to help me. The gospel is a point of no return. Being justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone is a point of no return. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot revert. You cannot go back to being enslaved and think that you can please God by keeping the law, by your works. Returning to the law would be rebuilding what has been torn down. Returning to the law would be a denial of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Returning to the law means the return of sin and transgression. There is nothing freeing about returning to the law. To rebuild the the wall of the law is to bring back the condemnation of the law. 
why, why would you heap burdens back upon yourself after you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ? Paul goes on to say it's because, it's because of the law that he has died to the law. You see that there in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law. The Old Testament law and all the works that go along with it, all those ways that people thought they could please God through their rule keeping, Paul says that law can no longer make any demands of him. It's no longer over him. No longer holds any sway over him because ultimately it does not save. Paul says he has died to that way of trying to earn God's acceptance, earn God's salvation, and please God through his works. But look at what he says. I died to the law so that that action of dying to the law results for the purpose he might now live to God. Paul turns everything on its head because he says the lawbreaker is not the one who turns from the Old Testament law to Jesus Christ. Because that's what he was being accused of. They were saying, Paul, you are a lawbreaker because you're turning from the law and keeping the law to Jesus Christ. And Paul says, no, no, that's not what breaking the law is. Breaking the law is receiving Jesus Christ by faith and then thinking I can somehow go back to the law and find acceptance from God there and please God there. Christians this morning, we must have it in our minds that the only way that we are able to please God is because Jesus Christ has first pleased God. That is how we are able to please God. It's because our Savior has ultimately pleased Him through His life and death and resurrection. If we hold on to thinking that somehow we can achieve our right standing before God by our works, we cannot live to God. It's only when we die that we're really able to live. Number three this morning, we believe in faith alone because we depend on the sacrificing work of the Savior in us. We depend on the sacrificing work of the Savior in us. We now come to those well-known verses in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It's a statement that brings us to the very foot of the cross brings us to a place where Christ was crucified on the cross, where he died 